Welcome to Inner Huddle Extra Time. Welcome along to the Inner Huddle podcast. Firstly, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologise to all our regular listeners from all around the world for the lack of output from me recently and the lack of these episodes being released. And that's for a number of reasons, but not least the fact that I've been spending many, many hours concentrating on writing my new book, which I'm hoping you'll all be really interested in. It's um, it's a guide for parents that have children at home um, that are into football and just how you can help them along their journey, along their pathway, so they can fulfil their potential and lead a very happy footballing life both on and off the field of play. So that's something to look forward to, but it's taken up a lot of time, which has meant that these podcasts have become few and far between. I have managed to be a guest on a few other people's podcasts, and I was recently on one called the Uh, global soccer education podcast with my friend Jason Blake and I was particularly pleased with the episode so I thought that it would be great to split it into two episodes and put it out on my own podcast. So this is myself being interviewed for the global soccer education podcast with Jason Blake. Um, I really enjoyed it, it's a really good podcast so make sure you're you subscribe to to them and and give them a follow. And uh, I really, really hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Perry Cockin, welcome to the Global Soccer Education Podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Um, Really looking forward to catching up with you again and and, um, hearing a bit about your journey in coaching. Um, I hope you're well. Yeah, all good. Delighted to be here. And... uh, doesn't seem that long ago we were doing it on the on the, the masterclasses that you were putting together. Uh, we had some fun then, so hopefully we'll add a bit more value tonight. So thanks for having me along. I'm sure we will. And yeah, it's great to have you back again. Um, Perry, golden question. What happened for it all to begin? Why did you get into football coaching? Um, you know, you kind of prepped me for this one a little bit beforehand. And I started thinking, I can't remember exactly what pinpointed it. I... Going back to about 1997, I'm showing my age now a little bit, um, I was actually running a men's team. So I was, I was more of a manager than a coach. I was running a men's team. Um, and I decided that I enjoyed it and I wanted to go down that further. But I thought I'd add more value if it was with children's coaching. Um, and I think that stems from the fact that I never really played much youth football. Um, I played two seasons, one at under-13s and one at under-15s. And I didn't start playing proper football, really, until men's about 19 years of age. So I'd missed out on all that, you know, years and years of learning. Um, But I wasn't too bad. I was kind of a self-taught player. I'd learned to play in the playground um, and and just with my friends and pick up games and and playing about with the ball myself. And... uh, I thought, well, hang on, how come I'm much better than a lot of the people I play against or on par with? I was at the level, and I didn't play at a bad level. Um, Nothing great, but, you know, not too bad. Um, And I thought, and some of these people that I'm playing with now, I've been playing since they were under sevens, under eights, all the way through, and yet I'm, uh, you know, at the same level as them. So was there 
what they did at youth football wasted. And, you know, because in theory, they should have had years and years of experience and developed yeah. and be much, much better than I am. So where did that break down? And that sort of piqued my interest with it a little bit. Um, and I went to do my UEFA B level three, as it is called now, um, back in, I think it was 2000. And I remember being on the course just thinking, how's this going to help me coach kids? Because I decided by then that's the real one is go down. And it was yeah, about yeah. the role of the second defender and, and things yeah. like that. And I'm like, well, I just want to teach kids ball skills and how to get good at football and that kind of thing. So that led me to become pretty much a student of, of looking at that type of thing. And I, I read about um, you know, Will Coerva and his methods and stuff and yeah, really yeah. became a student of the game. I started reading autobiographies and reading the first few um chapters about what they did when they were young and and it became apparent that a lot of them they wouldn't mention coaches and youth teams so much it was all about playing with their mates in the street and yeah and how they play against other streets and play against kids who were older than them and younger than them and and stuff like that and actually looking back now um a lot of things like we band about now like bio banding and constraints we did all that we did all that naturally. If you if your team in the street were winning, you know, six nil, you go, Well, you have the other lad and you have six players and we'll have five or Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. We'll I remember our, that. We make our goals smaller, you make yours bigger. You're only allowed to score with your left foot. You know, we do all those constraints and things we do now ourselves. So I was fascinated by all this this stuff anyway. Um and uh, and yeah, so that's how I, I I stumbled across Brazilian soccer schools. Um and that was like a magic moment for me. I was like, there are other people out there that are, you know, into this like I'm into this. And I, I didn't want to take shortcuts. I didn't want to get, you know, a qualification, think I knew it all and go out and start. I wanted to, you know, really, really study what I was about and what I was into. And, and, it, and it all went from there. Really. And I ran a Brazilian soccer school for nine or ten years and then set up something on my own, which we call Pezza's Street Soccer, which we always go back to that street soccer and playing yeah. in the street and it's what you know kids don't do it so much anymore for a variety of reasons safety and not having the area to do it and you know other things conflicting with their time yeah. playstations and whatever it might be and that is actually that i think it's a golden piece of learning that's gone now so for example uh you know my lad he's 10 when he wanted to start playing football that about six or seven years of age, you look around where it is and you're straight into a team. You're straight into, you know, organized coaching. Um, and then you're kind of at the mercy of how good or how friendly or how um, individualized development wise that one kid's dad is that's running that team. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I wanted to give something out there that kids could come to, to play, express themselves, try things, make mistakes um and uh and, and develop that way so that's kind of my journey in a very very small well one side of my journey as we might get onto a bit later but um that's how i you know ended up where i am now with the brazilian soccer schools and the Peza street soccer um i was quite a long-winded answer to how did i get going but good yeah, it was right. a good answer it was a good answer so, yeah. um perry when, when you got involved with the um brazilian soccer schools what did you learn in that process? What did what did that teach you? I learned in the main that there's a massive difference probably between team coaching and 
individual development coaching. And I think it's a very big struggle to do both at the same time. Um, and I think that was my big takeaway from it. And with what I do now is I purposely do not run teams. And if I did, I'd have a much better business model because the business model tends to be you get your players in, you develop them, um, you, you, you mold them together, and then you go and you play in the best league you can and play with and against the, you know, against the best sort of players. I didn't want to do that because I never wanted it to be about recruitment. I wanted it to be about every child that walked through my door. I would help them to be, be the best that they could be, whatever their potential yeah. was. And it could be massively different for anybody. And I didn't want to be going, oh, we've just taken a team down to, to Bournemouth or something and, you know, got hammered. I need two centre-halves and I need yeah, someone yeah. who can carry the ball and they weren't very good on the big... I didn't want it to go down that route and I'd been down it. We did play games and we did play Bournemouth and, you know, sometimes we did very well against those teams and sometimes we got hammered and then the parents were like, why aren't you, you know, doing better? And all, and yeah. you know, I remember playing Swindon once and we tipped up and we went into the changing rooms and I just said to the kids, right, where does everyone play? We've got any defenders? Not one hand went up. We had a goalie. Yeah. We had a goalie. Yeah. Um, but not one hand went up. And I literally had to say, well, someone's going to have to play at the back. And we literally, and of course, and then afterwards, I got a bit of stick from the parents saying, well, why was my kid playing in defence? And this was his chance to shine and get scouted by Swindon. He yeah, yeah, yeah. I went, Do you know what? It's taken away from the individualness that is what I'm about and what I'm passionate about. And, you know, no offence to anyone that runs teams, but I think it's a different, completely different mindset. You're moulding a group with the aim of getting a result. And I that didn't fill me with a lot of passion because your ego comes into it a little bit then and whatever. I wanted to be, you've walked in through my door, I'm going to help you as an individual be the best player that you can possibly be and see where that takes you. So I think from to answer your question, that's the biggest thing that I learned is there's a difference between the two so I put all my energy and effort into learning how to help children individually and that's psychologically and with their individual training as well so I went down that route rather than I mean obviously I, I'm lucky that I've got to you know fairly decent level in what I do um, but if, if I was to put a team together to win a match you know there, there's probably yeah. guys out there who could do that better than me it, it's not what I was into I, I wasn't about getting a result. And I have run teams and I did enjoy, you know, running a, a grassroots team. I was involved in, in a club. I was chair yeah. for a while in my own age group and I love going on tour and all that side of it. But the team more came about to look after players that have been at my soccer school. And I didn't want yeah. to just throw them into a team where they might get everything ruined and not be allowed to try cool. things. And actually, I mean, we might come on to him later, but we had a player... And I still work with now Charlie Webster, who since lockdown started has gone mad. He's at Chelsea and he's England under 16 captain. And Borussia Dortmund are trying to take him over there. Wow. So he's been touted as the next Sancho. And he's been on all the papers over here um, during lockdown, which has been great for me. And we, we had a few mentions in like the Sun newspaper that he yeah yeah street soccer. And it, it, it's been wonderful. But um, I was about 32, 33 at the time. And he'd come to me waddled in as a five-year-old with big hair and his trainers were too big. Um, and funnily enough, his dad wanted to play squash and had seen that first session was free and put him in as a bit babysitting. And Right, okay, wow. And, uh, you know, and 
the level he's got to from the, on the back of that is incredible. But um, it, some story. Yeah, and, and, you know, it might become more as he, you know, he's going to be a yeah. – he'll sign as a professional on the 1st of Jan, so he'll be our first Premier League professional player. We've had another wow. player. Forest Green, Vaughan Coville, but he'll be the first in the Premier League. But um, it well got done, to mate. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's, it's really nice. And I still work with him one-to-one and he's been there from a five-year-old right away for a work with him this week. It's it's nice, you know, it's 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 what it's been all about for me, really. But he got to an age where, quite rightly, he wanted to test himself and see how good he was and play, you know, real matches. Um, and he was an under-nine, so he'd been with me for five. So he'd been there about three or four years um, and I couldn't stand the thought of him going to, you know, some team where they just wanted to use him to win a game of football. Yeah, yeah. You know, no offence, but some dad with a level one, and that they're great, we need them, and their gold dust, yeah. what they do for the grassroots game. But I was very protective of Charlie because I, I'd been in the game, and I thought you know, this kid's got a chance, although he never liked to say it, and it's very difficult to say, but he had something different about him. So I said, right, I'm quitting playing, and I'm starting up a team so I can look after him. And there was other boys there as well, and some of them are signed at Saints, and there's one at Bournemouth, and they, they've all gone on now and, and yeah, nice yeah. their journey. But the whole club was really – and it's got it's got age groups now. I think next year we'll have an age group at every age group from under-7s to under-16s. Oh, wow. It was all for Charlie. I don't really think yeah. he knows quite the impact that even then he's had now because all these kids yeah. are in this club. I'm not chairman anymore. I think I'm lifelong president or something, but okay, I, yeah. I passed it on and, and you know, as things got really busy for me, felt I couldn't put enough time and energy into the club that it deserved. But um, as far as Charlie was concerned, he then got signed, I think – we did his full season at under nines and halfway through the season at under tens, Chelsea came knocking on the door um, and, and, and off he went and he did a week's, uh, he did a six week trial. As you know what the system is, you get a six week trial and they yeah. signed him after week one. Oh, wow. They knew that Southampton were sniffing around him um, and maybe some other clubs that I'm not aware of and boom, they one week signed and, and he's gone. He's been there ever since. So nice little story. Um, yeah. And and his journey has been very much part of my journey, and it's nice because I had I had so much faith in the methods and the belief in what I was doing, but never had anything to back it up because you're starting out new. Now it can be like, well, it might not work for you, and it might not work for others or for everybody, but it has worked for Charlie, you know. And he's gone from a five year old right the way through. And apart from Chelsea, he's had no other coaching, so it's. It's like I say, his journey's been sort of integral to mine. So, um, so yeah, it's um, another part of it, which is exciting. What's really interesting in in, in what you described there, Perry, is these players that are finding their way to Chelsea's and Southamptons and Bournemouths. Um, that's not been the purpose. No, the purpose is individual development, which I think in the majority is um, not what happens. It's creating teams and winning competitions and players might come out of those teams, but you've actually reversed the kind of mindset a little bit, which is really, really interesting. Um, Individual kind of skill development still can produce players without that being the sole purpose. Yeah. and, And individual development was the ethos right from the beginning. It was about every child matters 
and we will try and help every child to fulfill their potential. Uh, and, and that's, that's never changed. Um, but with that becomes problems because we've been kind of a victim of our own success because these children very quickly become very good and skillful with the ball and they have a good touch. So your other organizations or your other local teams, they come looking for our kids and often will say, need to be with me and my organizations because we'll get them spotted at this club and we'll get them in here. And, and parents, a lot of the time, especially if you're, if your child is showing potential, want to get them in the shot window. And they think that that's all it will take is to be seen at the right place at the right time. That one good game that you know they'll have, if there's a scout watching, that might be their chance. So they try and take shortcuts with it. And I, I always say it's, there's processes and outcomes. Signing at a pro club is an outcome. And don't let that outcome become your obsession. And I see it and have seen it so much throughout. And people try and take shortcuts to get to that outcome. Um, in lots of different ways. And actually, you find out what the process is, and the process is continual, individual, personal improvement and development. And if you concentrate on that and be obsessed with that, then the outcomes will take care of themselves, whatever that is. You yeah. know? And rather than chasing it. And, you know, if you're a parent and you've, you know, honest with yourself and think, well, actually, he's, he's, 10 or 11 years old and they're at their sixth club or their sixth development center and I've paid all this money for one-to-one coaching or whatever, you're more than likely chasing the outcome. Yeah, yeah. Now, concentrate on the process. Go where you're comfortable. Speak to people. Find out where best for that child. Because what you do is, by doing that, you create performance anxiety for that child. And I see it a lot. So the children picks up that mum, dad, they really want me to be a pro player. They must be because they keep taking me to this league, that league, this club, one-to-one coaching, paying the money, pep talks, whatever it might be. And then when they get out there, especially if it might be their chance with a scout watching or whatever, they lock up, they freeze, they don't play their normal game and it affects their decision-making because a lot's riding on it for them because they sometimes connect mum and dad's and it's particularly dads, I'll be honest, but it can be mums, they connect the love of that parent to the success of how they're doing on the football pitch. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes if you've lost a game or had a bad game, dad doesn't talk to you in the car on the way home. Yeah. You're miserable for the rest of the day. You've had a good game and you, you know, you, you, your team's won, they're buzzing in the car on the way home and let's stop off at McDonald's or whatever it might be. Yeah. Kids pick yeah. up all those signals. And it's, I was you know, on my own podcast yesterday, I had Andy Reid on, ex-pro player, and we were talking about the very thing and how, you know, kids pick up on all these things and it can affect their decision-making and create performance anxiety, which is a problem. I think performance anxiety, I think, is going to become more and more of a problem going forward, the way the game is going, in my yeah. opinion. I think... Um so many interesting things in there, Perry, and I've I've made a note on a few things. We're going to come back yeah, to them. Sorry, I do like to talk. No, no, that's great. And um, I think the one thing that's really evident is what you believe in your your coaching values and beliefs. They are very evident, and, and even in just twenty minutes of conversation with you, it's very clear what you believe in. Um, 
I want to go back to where you said you become a student of individual development when you made that decision. What what did that learning look like? What what resources did you draw upon? You mentioned that you read biographies, Will Curver being kind of a, a real big one. Yeah. Um, if 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 the listener wanted to go and research and learn about individual development, where did you go to get that learning that they might be able to follow you? It's a great question because when I first started, we didn't particularly have as much information at our fingertips as we have now, which is possibly a problem which is where people like yourself and podcasts like this can help people to sift through all of that info that's out there for what's good and, 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 and what's not. Um, I was lucky that I did come across the Brazilian soccer school and I, I took a lot from that. Um, and then I started looking, like I say, autobiographies were a big one. So even people like more recently, Dennis Bergkamp's autobiography, you read the first few chapters of that, and he'll talk to you about how he spent hours kicking the ball left foot and right foot against the wall and picking out a brick and curling the ball and, and experimenting. And then when there was enough lads come out, he'd play street football, that kind of thing. And like I say, there was patterns emerging from what I was reading that I didn't hear him say, yeah, I had a great under nines coach. It was all, yeah, we played these games for hours until it got dark at night and we were dragged in and all that kind of thing. Well, that's kind of how I learned. Um, as well and and I was lucky enough we might get to it as well about my other career path that I was on at the time that I was at the Premier League with Charlton Athletic and with Southampton Football Club previously and after and I had access to pro players and I would speak to them and ask them um, you know so how did you learn to play football and some of them from South America we play football de salon or futsal um, some of the African lads would, yeah, we played in just th- these dirt pitches, you know, and we put things down for goals and we played for out. But it was all the same theme, either on a park, you know, a street, uh, a futsal court, or and there was patterns. Yeah. That actually, a lot of these players learned to play just with their friends and on their own. And could I harness that into something in a safe and positive atmosphere and add other bits to it, which was was my thing. But in, in answer to being a student of the games, there was that, and then I started looking at the psychology as well as uh, um, part of it. And I started looking at uh, other other coaches. Um, it's Vince Lombardi from uh, uh, American football, um, Coach John Wooden from basketball, and things like that, yeah. and, and taking bits from from other sports. And I, I've I've never really stopped with that journey, and whether it's a personal one with. Um, self-improvement and psychology because I think if you can get stuff yourself you can pass that on um, and actually I've got more interested in the psychology behind football as I've got older um, and more into it and realised how important it is and those interactions with parents and children and um, the environments you create and, and I've got stick in the past for saying it and on my podcast and stuff um and I've openly said football's quite easy and and I had stick for saying it, but it's it's a fairly simple game. Um but the psychology and getting the best out of players and you know, learning what makes different people tick and their different learning styles and creating environments, that's where I've become more as I've got older. And I always say a, a good coach and good coaches coach their sport. So a good coach will coach football. Yeah. Um, a great coach will coach the player or the child. Yeah. There's a difference between the two. And I even think above that, 
exceptional coaches will create environments and challenges and scenarios and situations where then children learn for themselves. And, and above that, the very best coaches know when to do all three. So they know when to coach the sport, when to coach the child, and when to create environments where they learn for themselves. Wow, what, what a great message. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, um, it's, it's, it's something I've obviously – it takes years and years to, you know, realise. When, when I started, I thought I needed a bag of balls, a level one, um, and I knew my stuff because I could play a bit and I'd been around the game and I watched telly and listened to commentators. And But as I grew older, I realised, one, you're going to struggle to be um, an expert in all areas of football. So I don't really like the term football coach either because, you know, give me a group of 18-year-old, even elite players and say, right, we've got a game at the weekend or take them for three months and, and gel them into a team, often be lost. You know, I know a bit about football and the game, but I realised I had to specialise. So I yeah. I narrowed it down to kind of over here, primary school ages, so reception year to year six. So there's, there's seven years of development now, and it's still massive, and I'll never know it all. And back then, I might have thought, I'm pretty good, and I might know it all, and I'm just adding bits. Never know it all. You keep adding, you keep listening. Uh, and nowadays you can watch webinars, you can connect with people like we're doing. Um, and one thing that's happened with lockdown and this period that we found ourselves in, I found a lot more people are willing to share, um, which I think has been a, a real, real positive. You can get access to some real top people that have been through um, and they're willing to share their journeys and things. Um, that's a, a big positive that's come out of this stage. So I forget what your original question was. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've made a lot of little notes in, in what you just answered for the last yeah, seven okay. and a half minutes. Um, the question was about, you know, that, that period of, of becoming a student of, of individual development. I think a couple of things you said in there which are really important that I think – um, a great reminder is you, you said that even now in the age you are today, you still maintain that mindset of, of learning and wanting to gain more knowledge, yeah. um, which I think is really important because I think it can be an easy mistake to think we do know it all. Yeah. And then you said you don't know it all, which I think is a real important thing as well, because um, you're right. There is so many facets to the game and to being a coach we can't be an expert at all of them. So um, being a lifelong learner is a really good message. And, and, and I really enjoy that, you know, you've, you still carry that mindset now, which is really important. Um, also, you said you get a bit of stick for saying the game's easy. Didn't Johan Cruyff say the same thing? Oh, possibly he did, yeah. It's not uh, often I get named in the same breath as uh, Johan Cruyff, but uh, yeah, quite, quite possibly did. Um, yeah. I think I've said it more... I mean, I've I've said wild statements, but statements like, give me 10 children, any 10 children that have got a passion for football as a five-year-old, and by the time they're under nines, I can get all of them technically up to academy standard football. And I, and I believe, you know, maybe nine out of 10, but I think that's quite an easy thing to do. And people go, oh, no, well, you know, it can't be, and all that. And I think, well, teaching kids technical things you know it's quite easy but the mental side of it and yeah. you know, preparing and all that kind of stuff it is much more 
much more complex and difficult. And so I, I, yeah, I've had a little bit of stick for some sort of statements like that, but it's, um, I don't know. It's difficult sometimes to, to get over what you're trying to say. Um, you know, and obviously you see I'm passionate about where I go, but the, the problem I have, and especially being a lifelong learner, as you said, is you spend a lot of time and effort learning because you know how important it is and you really care about it. But then there will be people that have got the very basic qualification who now come into the game and before you know it, they've got a logo and they're setting up as some academy or a one-to-one expert and they've cut corners and it's a problem with the game because people like myself suddenly think, well, might've lost a few kids over to them because they're talking a good game or whatever. And it becomes a bit soul destroying when you've worked all your life, maybe to get to where, you know, you think you can add value and then there's all these other things popping up now, which, okay, and it's not about business and competition. It's about the children themselves. And there's been children that I think have moved on when they've been on a journey that would have taken them exactly where they wanted to go, but through impatience and chasing it, have moved somewhere else. And it becomes quite upsetting because when you're passionate about it and you have attachment to some of these kids and you think they're doing just fine, you know, and, and I can look back now cause I've done it all the way through. So I can compare them to other children at the same sort of stages and whatever. And, and I find that very difficult. Um, and, and I think it's a problem with modern day football, um, development. And it's difficult because I run a coaching company, you run a coaching company, um, or are involved in one. Um, and it's very difficult to sit here and say, well, it's a problem having all of these businesses and coaching things set up. But what the problem is they're not all regulated. So there's no one saying that that's a category one business and that's a category yeah. three. Like there is when you get to, you know, professional. So the elite game, yeah. It's, it's regulated. So they're trying to mirror the – professional game but there's no one saying what's right and what's wrong yeah um and there's no one coming in saying you know for instance there's once you've got lots of coaching companies in an area i don't really know i've gotten to the subject but um, you keep going mate run with right. it when you've got lots of uh, coaching companies in an area and they've all got teams the danger is their team becomes their flagship or their brand and they might all play in the same league or the same leagues um, and then the focus shifts to getting results. And then the individual development goes out the window. It becomes about recruitment because if you're a business, even if you're not in it just to make money, you need to, if you're bottom of the league and you've got players that can go to other clubs, you need to start getting results. So it becomes more about recruitment than development. And I think that's a natural thing that happens even when they all say we're all about individual development and then they're all trying to put one over on each other. And I think that's a worrying trend and you actually have to be very secure and very good at communicating what you're about and what, you know, we might be bottom of the league, but at the end of it all, your children will be better footballers and better people and whatever your ethos is and and about individual development. But a lot of parents, because it's black and white, see a league table or a result 
and then you're under pressure. And that's why I opted out of doing the teams in the end um, because I didn't want to go down that route of we need to get a result here. I mean, I, I do a lot of things in my training. For example, I'll have pretty much a whole evening or an hour out of an hour and a half session where we do weak foot games only. So we yeah. put a band around their weak foot and do a whole thing on, you know, um, just on your weakness and your weak, your weak foot. And they're great and they're great fun. But if I had a match to win at the weekend against a local rival, would I do that? No, I'd probably be, right, we're going to practice some set pieces. And they've got a tricky winger we know about because he used to come to us and he's gone there. So you're going to make sure yeah. he doesn't play. Yeah. And the focus shifts from development to trying to get a result. And I think that's where the problem in this country is going to going to go down is, yeah. you know, in, in the future when there's the, the village team is going to be a thing of the past one day. So, and it's, and it's happening already. Your local yeah. village team where a group of mates and a dad with one of the things takes it all and, and they're golden. And actually there's a lot of development to be had in those mixed ability Team yeah. and I've been watching yeah. a lot of webinars and listening to podcasts on skill acquisition from all over the world during this period because I'm big into it. And the, one big theme has been mixed ability teams are golden because it teaches children leadership and different skills that you don't get by putting the elite or the best all together to go and get a get a result. And you're actually taking away those opportunities for for learning and. That, I guess some people say, well, you can play with your mates on a Sunday and play with our elite setup on a Saturday. And I kind of get that, but a lot of um, parents can't afford to be in two places or yeah. it's too much and they've got other interests or brothers and sisters makes it difficult with all the travel and training sessions can clash. And it's, um, yeah, the, the, the village team being a thing of the past and getting that way, I think is, is sad for this country because these villages have long histories I expect you played for a village team once, yep. you know, yep. or, or a small club set up, you know, and it was nice and you might have had a little clubhouse and presentation nights and friendships. Yeah, and, yeah. You know, True. I was lucky with mine. We went on tours and we did all those, you know, things that you can get life lessons from. And I think yep. this rat race for eliteness and getting all the best players together to play with and against the best has its place. Don't get me wrong, playing with better players and against better players definitely has its place. But if you don't play mixed abilities at some point, I think you're missing out on massive development opportunities yeah. Um, yeah. going forward. So that's a worry for for, for me, for the, the way the game's going over here. Again, a lot of really good stuff in there, Perry. Really <laughs> yeah. good. I think I think the key message for me in there was consistency to your values and beliefs. It's it's a long long-term process of, of development and growth and staying true to what you believe in is really important and not getting distracted by the league um, championships or relegations and all that stuff yeah. I think is important. Thank you for listening to the Global Soccer Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode featuring Perry Cocking, please leave a review on your podcast platform. I appreciate it as your feedback will help more people find out about the show. Join me next time for the second part of the interview where we hear how Perry faced his fears to advance his career in soccer. See you next time.